Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about season four, episode 15, This Year's Girl. And I gotta say, I have been looking forward to this arc for pretty much since season three. Um, I love that this episode brings back faith, but I also love that, I mean, slight spoilers, but I mean, you're gonna figure it out anyway. This starts a really cool crossover series between Buffy and Angel. Um, This starts about like a four to five episode arc that is just phenomenal, and it's one of my favorites. And yeah, there's just a lot to talk about. And we always really struggle with like the first part of a two-part episode, but I feel like there's so much in this episode and it really keeps moving, even though it's setting up so many other things. There's just so much to talk about. So what did you guys think of it? I love this episode. This is an episode that like the first time I watched through the show, I didn't make it to season four because Angel left and now I went through my episode. And then the second time <laughs> Your I watched episode it of grief. Through, yeah, for real. <laughs> the second time I watched it through, I was like, oh my gosh, bro. I was like, this sucks. Like, I hate season four. Riley sucks. And then I got to this episode and I was like, this is the show that I remember. Like, this is the show I liked. And it's not because Buff or Faith is back. Like, which I mean, yes, I love having Faith back, but it actually felt like it was about Buffy. And so much yes. of this season hasn't yes. been about Buffy. And so I just remember being like, dude, like, that is. This is what I've been missing. Um, and also, like, I think everyone here knows, like, I'm not the the absolute biggest Angel of the Show fan. However, I absolutely recommend to anyone who hasn't seen the show Angel or who doesn't plan on seeing the show Angel, please watch the crossover Faith episodes. If nothing else mm-hmm. in Angel, you need to watch the, the crossover Faith episodes they are some of the best, like, Buffy universe episodes in general, mm-hmm. but they're so pivotal for so many characters from the Buffy universe that I absolutely recommend them. They're so, so, so good. And obviously, check out Sarah's other podcasts because I'm sure they're going to do a great job talking about them. But ah. yeah, mostly because you, you, you guys are coming. You guys are coming on for one of those episodes. That's probably why it's going to be so good. I completely forgot about that, but that is a good point. <laughs> I was saying, like in general, they're so, they're yeah. just top notch episodes. They really, mm-hmm. really are. Um, those two, and I will remember you are yes. must. Oh my gosh, yes. But I feel like I will remember you. A lot of people do already end up watching it because like Buffy and, and Angel. Like, and I think that these episodes with Faith kind of get put in the back burner. I'm telling y'all, freaking check them out. They're so good. Oh my gosh. I will say, so while I was like looking through and um, reading reviews, remember how we talked about in the last episode? It was Goodbye Iowa. One of our biggest critiques, one of my biggest critiques of this season and of that episode in particular is that making Riley the emotional crux, the emotional center of this season was one of the worst mistakes that Mm -hmm. they could have done. 
And they did that through killing off Maggie Walsh and through kind of centering Riley as the the person who now is going to be the emotional core of um, the big bad. Like we talked about how every big bad is related with Buffy up until this season. Now it's like Riley. And that's a huge problem. This episode right here and the next one and stuff, um, bringing Faith back allows the show to once again center Buffy, as Leah just said. Buffy is now a little bit more the emotional center, maybe not with Adam, but we're able to still kind of see how Buffy is at the core of all of this. Um, and so I'm a huge fan of this, if for nothing else, you know? Not to mention, I feel like a lot of times when shows bring back like an old character from like previous seasons, like a cameo or whatever, sometimes it really feels like to me like, okay, you were struggling this season. Like sure, you needed, right. you needed the views and you brought back a fan favorite and right. you wrote them in and all this stuff. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that to me, but a lot of times it does. And do I eat it up? Yes, because obviously they're a fan <laughs> favorite for a reason. But this, this one actually feels like earned, earned but also reasonable. Like, Faith waking up from her coma, it's like, duh, she's a slayer. Like, like I remember in season three when they're like, okay, feel stretched. no, it doesn't feel like a stretch. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel like, oh, we need, we need to figure something else, something out. Cause this, you know, this season sucks and no one's watching. It really felt like a logical thing that would happen. The only thing that I, I don't like, and it's not the episode's fault. It's the placement of the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. It comes after goodbye, Iowa. I agree. Because that's the only thing that makes it feel a little bit like... Mm, it derails the trajectory of the season. And it makes it feel a little bit... Honestly, it's hard to come back from these episodes back into a yeah. storyline centered around Riley again. But also just like, it's weird to go from a place where it's like, we just met Adam. We're supposed to be like at the climax of like you know, interest in this story. And then it's like, then you throw faith in there. It's like, how the frig am I supposed to care about the other storyline when this is going on? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's also hard too, because seeing faith come back, I mean, the season's about identity. It's about finding out who you are. And with faith, we're like, yes, I see that so clearly. And it reminds us what the show is doing so poorly with Riley. We genuinely care about Faith. We care about whether or not she can find herself and find her place in this world. With Riley, we don't really care as much. Why is that? Sure, we've spent more time with Faith possibly than Riley at this point, but Riley is considered a main character. He's in the credits. Liza Deshku never was. And yet somehow the show, I mean, season three was tight, was able to incorporate Faith enough that we understood her desires, her fears, her hopes. Like a little enough of her backstory with Riley, we just didn't get that. And so we're really struggling and having faith brought in here. We're going, man, that's what we're kind of missing is like this pull towards this character. Um, yeah, and it's just it's glaringly obvious in these episodes, but we'll take what we can get at this point. A little break from Riley is is never a bad thing, in my opinion. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, so this year's girl written by Douglas Petrie, which is really fun because Douglas Petrie has written, it seems, a majority of the faith-centric seasons um, or episodes, and that's kind of addressed here in in a minute with a couple quotes. Um, Directed by Michael Gershman. Again, Michael Gershman, passion, consequences, hush. 
He's the guy that directed those episodes, but also he's the cinematographer for the show. I mean, all his episodes are just beautiful and there's something extra special about them. Bro, this is going to be maybe a controversial take, but can they please bring him on instead of the freaking girl who always has the weird sex storylines? Like, please. (laughs) I'm so sick of seeing weird sexual, like, storylines instead of, like, ones that are, like, deep and hard-hitting. Not that she doesn't have good episodes. I know she does, especially a bit later on in the show. But, like, they give her a little bit too much creativity. <laughs> Marty Noxon. Um, okay, yes. so Michael Gershman is the – he does, like, the um, lighting – and stuff. Um, Marty Noxon's a writer, and I, oh, I am so sorry. No, oh. you. I was talking about My Douglas bad. Petrie's a writer. I, I like Douglas Petrie as a writer. Um, Michael Gershman's the lighting guy. Um, yeah, not to burst your bubble, yeah, but Marty Noxon, the lady who like writes all those weird sex stories, she is the showrunner for season six and seven, which is why it mm-hmm. is what it is. That's what I'm saying. Like some of the episodes in the later ones are good. I'm just saying I think they give her a little bit too much. Uh, freedom, freedom, free reign, and it shows a bit. Yes. Well, I'm excited to see your thoughts in the later episodes once you watch it again because I don't necessarily agree that she got better with time, but you know, she has her moments. I'm not saying she got better. I'm saying that like she did create some good episodes and some good storyline. I'm saying that there should have been someone else in check, maybe being like, maybe let's not have so many sexual storylines. Maybe we don't (laughs) need that. All right, so this episode aired February 22nd, 2000. Um, writer Douglas Petrie revealed he almost titled this episode Rise and Shine. So IMDb says Rise and Shine, and then Buffyverse Wiki says Rise and Shatter. Um, apparently, Douglas Petrie says the correct answer on the DVD commentary. I haven't seen it. I don't have my DVDs with me, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so if anybody has seen them, let me know if it's Rise and Shine or why- Rise and Shatter. Either way, it's one of those. And I much prefer this year's Girl because I think that there's a lot more to it, which we will go into. So um, this year's Girl, the title of the episode is a reference to the 1978 song by Elvis Costello of the same name. He wrote this year's girl about the way men project their fantasies and expectations onto famous women. He sees celebrity as a trap whereby a girl gets pressured into trying to be as intelligent, glamorous, and sexy as possible. He says everything in the song is about how the way men see women and what they desire from them. He wrote that in his autobiography, Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Ink. If there's a lie being told, then it is the one that a girl might be prepared to live or tell in order to live up to some false idea of attraction. He wrote the song, This Year's Girl, as an answer song to the Rolling Stones' 1966 track, Stupid Girl, which he felt was misogynistic and painted women in a less than flattering light. Um, And I think, like, looking up the lyrics and kind of having that context behind the title, I think Petrie is hinting at the fact that Faith's overly sexualized persona is a front. It's actually hiding a scared and vulnerable girl behind it. Um, And she's being who she thinks society wants her to be and who she's been, in a sense, groomed to be in order to survive. Because we know Faith is a survivor. She does what she can to project a strong front. Um, But we know deep down that she's very much hurting. Douglas Petrie wrote, bad girls and other pivotal Faith episodes like that. 
He says, if we bring her back, I hope to continue to be trusted in that way, meaning if we bring her back past season four. He says, I love writing for the character. She's my personal favorite character in the Buffy universe. She's bad Buffy, if you will. And for whatever reasons that I care not to explore, I have empathy with Faith. We were once interviewed by an American magazine. They said, what character do you relate to the most? I immediately said Faith. And everyone in the room took a healthy step back away from me. She is psychotic, but it is a confluence of things with Faith. You can't underestimate Elijah Jushku's performance, and Michael Gershwin did an amazing job of directing that episode. Ray Steller was a cinematographer of that episode, and he really went to town. Throwing Eliza into the mix makes Sarah respond in a certain way, and Sarah is an extraordinary actress. I think that this two-parter gave her an opportunity to do some stuff that she's been itching to do for a while. It's very much a team effort, and I'm always delighted to have a crack at Faith because I love writing her dialogue, and I just love writing her take on her place in this world. Um, in their book discussing existentialism in Buffy, Richardson and Rab argued that this episode and the next, intended or not, explore the impact of Sartre or Sartre, I don't remember which it is, look, the outside view that causes a person to redefine themselves from, from the perspective of the other. They interpret Faith's defection to the mayor and relentless dreams of Buffy stalking her as Faith's attempt to escape Buffy's judgmental look and the accompanying guilt it brings. So like we talked in season three all about how Faith very much feels like she's Buffy's, she's in Buffy's shadow. And it's funny because she was written to be Buffy's shadow self. So on a metaphorical sense, yes, she's Buffy's shadow. But in a literal sense, Faith should have been the only slayer. She should have been the one and only, but Buffy came back to life and now there's two of them. And so Faith kind of has to share that with Buffy. And there's this idea that like, you know, she tells Buffy, you know, you took my life in this episode. And she gets angry with Buffy for, um, the fact that she has the watcher, she has the friends, she has the mom, she has the lover. And we saw Faith repeatedly in season three trying to steal parts of Buffy's life to try to find a place for herself, which is why she goes to the mayor. She goes to the mayor in, in an effort to try and find her own identity, her own way, and her own life. And Buffy ends up putting her in a coma. And so Faith is now awake and we talked a lot about like how Buffy has incorporated and enmeshed with her shadow side. That was graduation day. So she no longer has a need for Faith. So if Faith is no longer Buffy's shadow, who is she? And I love that now we kind of get to explore who Faith is apart from Buffy. There's no longer a need for Faith to reflect Buffy. Now who is she as a character, as a human being, as a person all by herself? And that makes it so exciting moving forward. Richardson and Rab also, con they continue their quote. They say, when the two slayers meet again, Faith immediately denies her possession by Buffy. Again, it's this autonomy saying, I'm my own person, saying, you're not me. However, she's beginning to acknowledge the guilt brought on by Buffy's look. When Buffy expresses concern for the innocent people surrounding them, Faith claims that there is no such thing as an innocent person. Richardson and Rab point out that they're Therefore, Faith herself must realize at some level she is not innocent, but she is in fact guilty of horrendous crimes. And I think if you're paying really close attention, you can kind of see where this episode is going to take us. This episode is setting us up for Faith having to face the horrible things that she did in the past. I was going to say, kind of going off what you said, Sarah, this episode really forces Faith to take accountability, which is what you kind of said, but mm -hmm. also it takes away the excuse of being able to blame Buffy. Like, because at this point it's like, dude, like 
you have been out of Buffy's shadow. You you can't like you're free now. You don't have the master. You don't have like this is pretty much like a free chance for you to like go run away, escape, and become your own slayer. If you really if that's what you truly desire. But this episode really shows that like it was never Buffy's fault. Not that I think a mm-hmm. lot of people were thinking that, but just in case they were, like this episode really shows like dude like it was always faith who had these issues and these um kind of like jealousy and bitterness Mm -hmm. and this episode really shows like faith had every chance to run away to get away to go be a hero or a villain in any right or, or whatever she wanted to do but she chose to stay and to torture buffy because she was bitter Totally. Well, and I think it's so interesting because we, again, talking about shadow selves, shadow sides, faith is Buffy's shadow, but shadows aren't inherently bad and wrong. It's just the other side of yourself that you're suppressing. So if you look at it from that perspective, Buffy is faith's shadow self. So Buffy is everything that faith is suppressing in herself. So watching this episode, Buffy's already integrated with her shadow self, Faith. She's already taken what she needs from Faith. Faith now needs to integrate with her shadow self, which is Buffy. She needs to accept responsibility. She needs to accept accountability, as Leah said. And she needs to recognize um, what she did wrong and how to move forward. And I I think that is such a cool thing. Now we're seeing the other, the other character go through it. And oh, it's so interesting. Well, we start out with a dream, and it, it's funny that you say that because I was like, "Oh, Sarah, like you're the expert on the metaphor for <laughs> dreams." So I was going to ask if you wanted to analyze this opening dream. Sure, sequence. yeah, gladly. I mean, we all know, or we should know at this point, that um, Joss Whedon is heavy on foreshadowing, and so there's been a couple of dream sequences, especially between Buffy and Faith in season three that we haven't been able to talk about fully simply because there's some big stuff coming up that this foreshadows and that would be all spoilers and stuff. But uh, once again, we see Buffy and Faith in a bedroom. Do you guys remember the last dream sequence we had with Buffy and Faith? We were in Faith's bedroom. We are now in Mm -hmm. Buffy's bedroom. So this is symbolizing that Faith has to work out things with her shadow side with Buffy now. She's inside of like, we're in Faith's dream. This is not Buffy's dream. Nowhere is it indicated to us um, in the episode that Buffy is experiencing these dreams and knows about what's happening. Um, I'm not sure if she like is aware of it because, you know, the foreshadowing and all that other stuff like that, it would seem like that's going to be implying something to Buffy. But this is Faith's dream for all intents and purposes. We have the same music that played during the dream sequence in Graduation Day Part 2. It's a variation of the Buffy theme, just with more dissonance and a non-resolution. So Buffy says, smell good, don't they? They're making this bed versus, you know, the bed was already made before. Faith was in the bed last time. Now she's out. Um, They say something really like important. Buffy looks over at a clock and says, I wish I could stay, but Faith says, you have to go. Little sis is coming. I know. And we're immediately like, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Faith says, so much to do before she gets here. So that implies that it's somebody else, not Faith. So there's a lot of confusion. I wish I could say more, but I can't. Buffy looks at the clock again, says, now I really have to go. If we remember in graduation day, Faith says, little Miss Muffet counting down from 730. So again, wondering, 
And then uh, in um, the prom, Buffy also said to Giles, I know, I know, miles to go before we sleep. When Giles was saying, hey, like, I don't know if you should go after the hellhounds. Um, So again, a lot of symbolism with the bed, with resting, with sleeping, with time, with a countdown, something about a little sister. Um, Then we see Faith has the knife still inside of her, and it's Buffy still holding the knife. Buffy hasn't let go of the knife. It's bleeding out on top of the bed. The blood starts to flow, and she says, Faith says, are you ever going to take this thing out? Um, And then Buffy's expression goes really hard and cold-blooded, as the script says. And then out of frame, she rips the knife up, and then it kills – it's supposed to kill Faith – And then we cut to a hospital room and we see that Faith is still in a coma, but we can tell that she's having this dream as she's in the coma. So I mentioned before, um, J. Michael Richardson and J. Douglas Rabb's essay, um, Buffy, Faith, and Bad Faith, Choosing to Be the Chosen One. They talked about how Sartre and his ideas impact the show. Um, And we actually talked about Sartre before in Lover's Walk. Uh, Angel was reading Nausea. And Joss Whedon has talked about how that's like the most the book that has impacted him the most ever in his life, and so it would make sense that this show is based a lot upon Sartre's ideas. Um, we talked a lot about you know existential crises and all that stuff, but they said something really interesting about Faith's knife in this scene and in all the dream sequences here, because if we we'll all recall, the mayor gifted this to Faith, and then we had that moment in I think it was consequences or no choices where faith throws the knife at a spider to save wesley and you could tell she wants to go after it when she leaves the room but buffy grabs the knife and that's the knife that buffy ultimately stabs faith with and it's also the knife that buffy uses to goad the mayor into chasing after her in a snake form so this knife has a lot of significance and they said something that i never thought about they say From a Sartrean perspective, the dagger and Buffy's stabbing Faith with it turn out to be even more important. The dagger is Faith's possession. As we have seen, upon receiving it, she admires it almost erotically. Sartre would say that she possesses it in the sense of putting her spirit into it. It is as though the dagger thus becomes a part of her, or rather that she has become the dagger. It is the symbol of her warrior nature, but also a mere physical object with no freedom to choose projects and plans for the future as humans do. This is one way in which faith can deny her freedom and thus responsibility for what she has done. Because remember, this episode is the beginning of the arc of faith trying to gain responsibility. This is going to be so niche. And I know that most people are not going to understand this, but do you guys remember the storyline in Merlin where Morgana is starting to turn bad and only Merlin is getting like the visions of it? And one of the visions is her getting this brand new dagger that's all like jeweled Mm -hmm. from um from arthur and in the vision she like opens it and she like looks at it the same way that faith Mm. looks at the dagger that she gets and it's just interesting to me that it's a bit of a pattern in certain tv shows where it's like what a girl is turning bad it's like this (laughs) dagger or this (laughs) knife is a way of like symbolizing like oh like it's like your fascination with like death or their fascination with like darkness. That was super niche, but that's always what comes to mind whenever I think yeah. of like that is just like the like Faith's kind of obsession with the dagger was always so interesting to me because like a knife or a dagger is a very 
hands-on, bloody way to kill someone. Like, Buffy, we've talked about this before, but Buffy's weapon of choice is a crossbow because she doesn't desire to be in the thick of battle. She wants to be far removed, protected, and be able to kill. She doesn't glory without... in killing someone. She kills yeah, because it's, she it's has quick, to. It's yeah. fast, and mm-hmm. it's safe. Like, And she's far removed from it because she desires to be as far away from death and being a slayer as possible. Whereas Faith enjoys the thrill, the hunt, the action. Um, she she gets off on it. And so I always thought that Faith, their weapons of choice greatly um, kind of exemplified who they were as slayers and as people. I also Very kind well of said. view a knife as like control. So I think it's more than just like um, – you know, the thrill of like killing or like being that close up to the battle. I just kind of view it as like faith is in control of killing somebody in an intimate way with a knife. So it's like, she's the one like throwing the forces and digging in deeper, you know what? Rather, I'm trying not to be so graphic, but it's like, whereas like Buffy from afar doesn't have to do much rather than just pull a trigger. Um, And I think faith, it's more of like, if I'm going to choose this, I'm going to really choose this and this is who I'm going to be because she has a lack of control in her life. And so like she, it's just like, it's a classic Mm -hmm. like coping mechanism of just like you not knowing yourself and not knowing like what it is that you believe in and who you are. And so like, I'm just going to gear towards something that I know I I'm good at and I can control and I'm going to really like, uh, I always steer into the skid. I always want to say skeet into this, the skid. Skeet into the skid. (laughs) Um, Skeet into the skid. Um, but I mean, okay, there are a lot of things to, um, dissect in this first dream sequence, but the way that I like to view this, I mean, there's a, there's three dreams, um, that through Faith's perspective in this episode, but I feel like the first one really tells a lot about how Faith has felt in Buffy's and hers relationship. Um, and I really do feel like it's very sad. So like you see both of them um, making the bed together in white sheets, which I mean, this is not all confirmed. This is just my head canon. So if you disagree with my analysis, that's totally fine. Um, but it's like both of them making the sheet together, which is just reminiscent of like early season three where both of them were just like pals. They would like work mm-hmm. together as uh, like, I just like, what's that? Ep- I think oh, I forget what episode it is, but when they're both it's- slaying like, together and then they both high five after they it's right before Gwendolyn Post comes in yes and Tabs you're actually you're right the script um says that they are they're moving in sync they're making the bed at the same like they're both supposed to be on like but then it's also just like juxtaposed by the fact that the we don't see they do this on purpose they we don't see white sheets a lot in the show usually red it's usually patterned like we don't see white a ton and so the fact that it's a white sheet that both of them are pulling over it's like just these two people that are in essence killers they don't um faith probably more so than buffy but both of them doing that together it's supposed to be this like pure like bond that only both of them can feel through the slayer bond um Mm -hmm. and then like it's like faith 
you could tell that Faith really cherished that in the beginning of season three, having that like sisterhood with Buffy. And then Buffy saying, I have to go. For Faith, this is really important to her. It's like having someone to do this with, to understand her in this sense, like this darkness in her. But then also seeing it as something that's like beautiful and everything because it's a white sheet. You know what I mean? Um, and then Buffy's like, oh, I have to go. And you can tell she's like, oh, like, oh, I, I understand. Like you have like other things you need to do. Um, and so when she starts bleeding out, we don't see that Buffy's stabbing her. It's Faith being like, oh, shoot, I messed it up. Like, dang, we just made this together. I'm bleeding out all over this. And then we see that it's Buffy who's stabbing her and she's like are you ever going to take this out like it's very sad like and I think it's very interesting that we're seeing this through Faith's perspective because we all watch season three Buffy's mm-hmm. not all to blame for everything that happened you know like like when you w- look back you're like Buffy really tried to make friends with Faith like she really like put herself out there was really sweet to Faith like even when Faith had killed people and denied it like her and Angel really just kind of had their makeshift rehab for Faith and really tried to like bring her soul back. Um, and, and, and later in the episode, we'll talk about it too, but it's like like Faith is not over the fact that she like quote unquote portrayed her, that she stabbed her and Buffy's like, you had it coming. But it's like seeing it from Faith's perspective, we saw how lonely, how depressed, how like how much self-hatred Faith had for herself. Um, so when she says, like, are you ever going to take this out? We know where Faith is coming from. So seeing it from her perspective is a bit jarring and sad. Yeah, that's really well said, Tabs. And it speaks to the nuance of this scene because you have – you simultaneously have pity for Faith, but you're also like you still need to accept responsibility for what you've done. And I mean yeah. there's that famous thing, the famous saying, you know, you made your bed, now lie in it. Faith has made her bed. Now she needs to like – own up and accept responsibility and the consequences. And she keeps she keeps running away from it. Um, and that's ultimately what this is. But okay, so I'm gonna continue to finish this quote here. I um, mean, it kind of encompasses all of the um dream sequences between Faith and the mayor. So I figured we'll just kind of because I mean they're all kind of a rehashing of the same thing. Um, but I'll just talk about it here. So we talked about how the knife is a symbol of her warrior nature. Um it's uh, that she denies her freedom and denies her responsibility for what she's done because it's almost like she puts it into the knife and says, oh, like this knife had no choice. I had no choice. And that was a big thing in season three. You do have a choice. And Faith, you have chosen poorly. You have chosen poorly. Uh, got my Indiana Jones references out of the way. Uh, okay. So she says, the quote goes on and says, she is nothing but a weapon to be wielded by the freedom of the mayor. She is merely the instrument of the mayor's will, as Dostoyevsky might put it. You murdered him. You are the real murderer. I was your only instrument, your faithful servant. Faith herself has no more responsibility than the dagger itself would have. Daggers don't kill people, though. People do. Of course, Faith is lying to herself, and this is what we call bad faith. Again, it's no coincidence that Faith is named Faith. So Buffy, in taking Faith's dagger, a dagger functioning like a relic, which is possessed by Faith's spirit, is in effect taking Faith herself, possessing Faith. And all this kind of ties in with the young's shadow side. She then makes Faith conscious of herself and reflexively conscious of her concealed guilt 
and remorse by returning the dagger to her in the most forceful way possible, by stabbing her, making it part of her, thus revealing to her the gut-wrenching guilt for which she has been fleeing. The dagger, then, is a symbol of Faith's guilt as well as the objectification of Faith herself in her attempt to hide from that very guilt. The dagger thus functions in part like Macbeth's spectral dagger, which he says appears before him. It's handled towards my hand. So again, Joss loves his Shakespeare. So you have a little bit of Macbeth there. You have a little bit of Sartre. You have a little bit of, you know, just all these different philosophers and interesting bits of literature. Um, And it all comes together very Shakespearean to faith. It's like, all right, faith, you have blood on your hands. You have blood on the sheets. Are you going to take responsibility? Or once again, as the subconscious is implying, are you going to say it's Buffy's fault? Buffy's the one that should pay for it. So we move on over into the basement, and this starts the running um, gag of Xander trying to <laughs> fix the weapon, but <laughs> struggling the entire episode. Um, and then we see like uh, Buffy and Giles talking on the side. We find out that she's been patrolling nonstop for three days straight, trying to find Adam. Um, suggests that she needs rest, but of course we know Buffy; she's not going to find rest, especially if there's like a, a Terminator, like half man, half robot man out there um there's no word from riley we find that he is still inside the initiative but she's heard that he's quote-unquote fine but she doesn't know what that quite means um xander gets shocked from the gun in the corner that was no one notices no one notices (laughs) i know so sad (laughs) um and the buffy makes a good point she's like well what happens to somebody if they're being brainwashed the initiative and the initiative stops liking their behavior which is very true which is also like, why was no one asking this question forever ago? Because it's like the initiative was always so shady about their initiation process, I guess, for lack of a better word. But it's like, how do they get recruited? It's not like the military where you go and sign up because it's secretive. Like, you don't know about it. So it's like, how do you get into it? How do you get out of it? Like, there just was so much about the initiative that didn't seem like a lot of people were asking about. Right. Well, and if they're willing to put chips into monsters, into animals, and they have created, they have created a monster in order to do what we don't know, but like take over the world or take go get rid of all the monsters and stuff. And we know that they are drugging Riley or they have drugged Riley in the past. Just because Maggie Walsh is gone doesn't mean that idea isn't still floating around with a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like these are natural conclusions that like they should have come to a few episodes ago, but that's season four for you. Um, and then we see in the initiative hospital, Riley is in bed and then grabs Buffy's headband or whatever that is from last episode. And he tries to get up and his waist is still bandaged. He's struggling. My gosh. And the freaking forest comes up. I just was like, ah, like, I'm just getting so annoyed. I'm kind of done with forest. Up. I yeah. know. Because he says the same thing. It's not like it's something new that he's like, you know, crapping on. It's like the exact same thing. It's like, it, it, this just felt like when you're in high school and your parents don't want you to date somebody and they ask you where you're going. That's how it felt. I was like, my goodness, you're not his parent. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, they're going for the whole family aspect because it's supposed to be like the toxic family metaphor, this yeah. idea of like, if we can keep you in, if, if if we have to keep you thinking that, oh, we're your family and you can't betray your family. We want you tied to us so that you don't feel Classic. guilty or so that you feel guilty if you betray us or whatever. I, I mean, but Forrest is so dang um, 
obsessed with Riley's sex life. Every time he's talking, there's something sexual that comes out about Riley. Like, don't even tell me you're headed for that girlfriend of yours. Look at you, one good conjugal visit, and you'll be back in intensive. <laughs> it's I not know all about sex. Tired of hearing it. I know people are tired of hearing it. But this <laughs> Go is ahead, Leah. Thoris comes off as gay. This is why right. he doesn't. No, no, no. Wait, yeah. because, wait, wait, wait. No, it's because he's so hyper-focused on, like, Riley's sex Riley's, life. Yeah. That it's like, if you're just a friend or if you're even just a family member or, like, supposed family member, why are you so obsessed? Like, that's why it comes off as this, like, per, sure. like possessive ex- lover is like oh you're gonna go to your girlfriend have sex with her well did you maybe 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 catch what riley said did you Mm -hmm. care because it sounds so like there was some undertones because they're talking and then he goes like uh, like forces something like oh you're gonna go home and so whatever to your girlfriend and then riley goes you would you wouldn't understand right yeah he says that i'm like come on it comes off it, it just comes off as like force you wouldn't understand because you're not into girls like that's what that's i'm saying yes us. it's it's yeah it's giving uh-huh. very much like from stranger things when i was gonna say will, it gives will Byers <laughs> when, when um when uh mike tells will like uh what does he say he you, says he says you wouldn't like, like girls yeah, yeah you yeah. don't even no, no, like says, girls yeah that's what yeah, he said yeah which is like pretty much the same thing along the lines of like you don't understand what i'm going through because you literally don't understand what I'm going mm-hmm. through. Like, right? I know people. Are, I know people are tired of hearing it. Uh, like, <laughs> like I know that people could brush it off as like, oh, like he's saying that as in like, oh, you don't like date, you don't go out, and like you don't have a girlfriend, sort of thing. But it's like the way he says it. It's like almost mm-hmm. as if he's been waiting this moment to like throw it at him. I don't know. It's yeah. so weird. The subtext is very much there for sure. I mean, I think they initially wrote it to be like, because Forrest says we have a problem. We all deal with that problem. You know, the most important thing of the equation right now is we keep said problem within the family. It's like the cult-ish mm-hmm. vibe of like, we don't let anybody else know. Like we're having internal investigations. We're not, or internal reviews. We're not going to let anybody else know about it. But the subtext, and it, the, the sad thing is, is that we all see and write Forrest as gay because that gives us some gives him some motivation and humanizes him, which tells us that they're not doing a good enough job of humanizing and flushing out Forrest. So we have to add the subtext and backstory right. there for him. I think honestly, Sarah, that's a good point. Is like we don't ever see Forrest as anyone but Riley's obsessive friend. So it's like yeah. the only right. natural way, way we can take that is like you're into him because we only ever see him obsessing over Riley. We don't right. see him at all having any desire, hates, likes, anything for anything else. It's Other all than Riley, Riley and his sex life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So we see like Faith and like it's very reminiscent of the colors and the dress that Mayor gave her, the pink mm-hmm. one in I don't remember which episode. And they're having like this like father-daughter picnic, which is kind of what he says like to her when he gives her that dress in season three. He's like, it's very like a fatherly thing. Like he buys her an apartment. Like he's kind of just being that like stand-in father figure. Um, They're having just a very like pure time. And I really feel like what is the most telling about this specific dream, because this one's quicker than the other ones and it seems a little bit more simple, but I feel like other than like obviously Buffy showing up and like killing the mayor, which is like, that one's pretty in our face. We know what that one means, but I feel like the part of this dream that really stuck out to me 
was that they're having like this like beautiful, simple picnic and the sun is shining and they're sitting out in the open. They're not hidden. They're out in the open during daylight. And while the mayor is having like a very like he's able to relax, he's able to have a good time. Faith says it looks like it's going to rain. And he's like, no, like it like just enjoy like whatever paraphrasing. And then she goes like it always seems to rain right about now. Oh, that made my heart hurt. I was like, man, like it's like it's this part of her that is just that can't enjoy the good things in her life because it's always ripped away. And again, mm-hmm. from Faith's perspective, it's really sad. But then it's like also you think about season three and you're like, girl, you, you kind of dug yourself this ditch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, you made chose, your choices. You, yeah. you chose the mayor as like a stand-in father. And yes, he was nice to you. But again, you you pushed away the Scoobies. Like you pushed away those possibilities. But then you also understand her perspective. It's like, oh, like the mayor really did accept her flaws and she felt like she could just show that side of herself. Whether or not like she could show both sides of herself to him is kind of a a question mark. But it's like that whole side of herself that she hates, she felt like she could have, she felt a little bit more um, accepted for, you know? We also know that that Faith has had a serious, I mean, A, obviously Faith has daddy issues. Ooh, ding, ding, ding. But like also the fact that like, we know that she had a, uh, another watcher who died. And then it's like, then you come and you see her observe this relationship between Buffy and Giles, which is so beautiful and so like tender. But it's like her watcher dies. And then you see Buffy who has this watcher that's alive and loves her. And they have such a beautiful connection. But she's like desiring that of her own. Like she wants someone who understands her and loves her and defends her and protects her the way that Giles does her Buffy and then it's like then she gets Wesley or no then she gets the girl who wasn't even a real watcher and then she gets betrayed by her then she gets Wesley who's a little weasel when he's introduced (laughs) and he's like such a stickler for the rules clearly doesn't even care for Faith like he just is there because that's his job that's his duty is to be a watcher and he doesn't really understand that being a watcher is so much more than just giving them demands and, you know, missions. It's it's about caring for their well-being. And then she meets the mayor. And the mayor is, like, the only one who actually seems to care. The only one who seems to actually see the dark parts of her. And instead of correcting her, opens her with, I mean, welcomes her with open arms. Yes, of course she should have known better but also they just do such a good job of like really making it like you really understand why she did what she did and why she was drawn to what she like what she did i don't know what i'm saying um i hope this makes sense (laughs) no it all makes sense and it's actually gonna tie into what i was gonna say next because you know you literally have riley and forrest talking about family is that what we are and all that stuff and again they are constantly contrasting and comparing Riley with different characters. And so right now, Riley and Faith are kind of going through the similar thing. All the Scoobies are going through some sort of identity crisis in this season. But right now, Riley and Faith are kind of at a similar place. Um, We have family, this concept of family. And then we see this dream sequence with Faith, with the only family we've met 
like on screen so far. We have her with the mayor, the father figure. They're on a picnic. They're wearing she's wearing the dress or something similar to it that the the mayor gifted her back in season 3. She wants a family. She wants a place to belong. Since the beginning of season 3, Faith has always wanted a place to belong. Amends. She goes to Buffy and Joyce's house for Christmas. Like there's just a common theme here. And so With the mayor, she felt like she found a place to belong for a little while. But once again, instead of taking responsibility and accepting that maybe her choices led her to the place where she is now, she blames it on Buffy because she talks about the rain. And then who shows up looking like a rain cloud? It's Buffy. You know, like it once again, it's showing what Faith wants, things from her perspective. Um, And then Buffy ruins it. I do also think it's really interesting that the mayor says, um, he sees the snake, the little garter snake, and he says, there now, little fella, I don't know where you belong, but it's sure not here with us. There you go. You see, there's nothing that can spoil our time together. Again, this is from Faith's perspective. It's like in from her mind, she wishes that he was solely focused on her, maybe not the ascension, um, which I thought was interesting. I think this part's up for interpretation. I've heard some people say that like in with Christian symbolism, the, the snake represents um, the deception of a man and of woman and uh, of sin and all that stuff. And so the symbolism of the mayor picking up the snake and saying, you don't belong here with us. It's Faith's subconscious trying to say, oh, no guilt, no shame, no uh, any evil or bad thing belongs here with us. It's just my time with the mayor. This is what she wishes would have happened, um, which is really interesting. And again, we have the way the mayor talks about faith. It's very childlike, um, kind of like what we talked about season three. I just kind of thought it, it was like, <laughs> now that I'm saying, gonna say that I sound so dumb, but like a mini version <laughs> of like himself because that's what he turned into. <laughs> sure. And so it's like, like him being like, oh, like at at a uh, peace or like one with like like nature and like that like. Oh yeah, scary part of nature, um. But it's like a tiny one, and he's just like, "Oh, hello," and then just like puts it down and is like not affected by it. Whereas like if this was like actual father daughter picnic, let's say that she's like three or four, she'd be freaking out about it. So the fact that he's like chill about it, and I was like, "Oh, hey, friend," and then just kind of puts it down. It's like, "Oh, you you don't belong here." But right, could also be the the metaphorical sin thing too. <laughs> no, it's all up for interpretation. I mean, there's some stuff that's very clearly written in there by Joss Whedon, but I think everybody is welcome to bring their own interpretation to things too, because it's art. You know, it's what does it mean mm-hmm. to you in this moment? And things are written so vaguely and broadly sometimes that within the Whedon verse and the Buffy verse that we're able to be able to go, hey, this can mean multiple different things. So you're not wrong. So we see Buffy and the and the gang patrolling again, um, looking for Adam. And then they start to split up, but then they all run into the same demon that's kind of splayed out and hung up and all of its organs on display. Um, and they can kind of guess that Adam is taking mental notes of how anatomy works and how life works. Physical notes, too, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. So back in the basement, they're all talking about it. They're all very clearly grossed out about it. Um, they say Adam is studying bodies, trying to figure out what life is like. And then um, Buffy's like, hey, like I need to get Riley out. And then starts giving all these orders to them initially or individually and tells Will like, hey, you need to hack into the initiative. Give her 10 minutes to get in. Um, and if that doesn't work out, to use magic, anything that she can do to get her inside. 
tells uh, Xander she can take any of the weapons that he has. And then Riley pops up and says, I'm really worth all that. Um, I love how no. you just like walked just out kidding. of the initiative. <laughs> We're like, um, well, <laughs> leave him in there. This Maybe for a was so much more interesting when he wasn't here. Like, look, look what happens when Riley's gone. Faith shows up. Let's do more. We of see this. A patrolling too. <laughs> we haven't seen patrolling in so long. Like he's like here. Oh, yay! We get to see something. Yeah, and they're to together. <laughs> I don't understand why the show decided to make the emotional crux of the sh- of the season on the most emotionless character. Like, I actually don't understand. Like, I'm not trying to bash Riley, but, like, Riley is just objectively not a very emotional character. He, like, I mean, he's, he has emotions and he's, like, not extremely emotionally intelligent. He's just not well written. He's just not, like, Buffy is an emotionally complex character. So is, so is Xander. So is Willow. So, like, so is even Faith. Even like Wesley to a certain degree had an emotional depth to him. Like I just don't like I don't know. I just I literally feel like the writers just fell asleep when writing Riley. I don't understand. <laughs> They're like, oh wow, this is a compelling And here's the thing. I think that and we'll get there in the episode, but there's a specific conversation in this episode that I think was well done. I just don't find the whole soldier I follow rules storyline compelling in anything i watch i can't think of one storyline right now in my head where it's like it's this whole like rule follower someone who doesn't break the rules has to be taught their own autonomy storyline interesting i think you know bland you know what this reminds me of is Mm. um i cannot remember his name but the guy in the new trilogy of star wars i think was his name finn um he was set up to be kind of like a Riley character. He was the old, he was a stormtrooper, and he was supposed to be like coming out of that. And then he was supposed to break out of that. And like they completely dropped his storyline in the new trilogy. Is his name Finn? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? I think and his Finn. name is Finn. I've only is it seen Finn? Okay. Um, yeah. the Force Awakens or whatever. I've, I've only seen, seen the first one too. too. I haven't yeah. seen the other yeah. two. I haven't, I've seen all of them, but. Um, you guys can pretty much guess based upon what you've seen and like all this yeah. stuff. There's a huge I backlash. Him. I remember that storyline though. And yes, first one. and that was a that was a huge yeah. moment I in the trailers it. when we saw the stormtrooper take his helmet off, and it wasn't one of the clones yeah. that we known. It was a black man, and then we watch him wrestle through with. I don't agree with the ideology anymore and I'm coming out of that and we're like, whoa, this is so compelling. Where is this going to go? Can he use the force? He's fighting. I think he picks up a lightsaber at one point. Like there were so many interesting things and then they just dropped the ball and it's very I remember he picks up he picks up the lightsaber and he uses it like a sword. Like he, you can tell Uh, he he doesn't have uh, the force. It was like, it was a complete fake out. I remember that because I was like, Ooh, this can be interesting. And then I saw it and he literally uses it as like a defense. It's it's you can tell the way that he uses it is not like it's not like an extension of his body. It's it's a weapon. But yeah, it was just it was something that a lot of Star Wars fans are really upset about because they were like, man, this is this was so compelling. This would have been so cool. They really just kind of stopped his storyline and he had something that was similar to Riley's. And so I just I wonder if 
like, I mean, that's two examples. This Maybe it's too broad of a thing to say, but it feels like a lot of times there's like a really good idea, but people aren't really sure how to execute it and to, to kind of go on with it. But I feel like they're kind of doing the same thing here with Riley where they have a really good idea. It's a really compelling thing. Who doesn't want to hear about a guy that's like been programmed his entire life to think one way and then has his world kind of like crumble beneath him, his foundation. Everyone's had something like that happen at some point in their lives. So it is compelling. Um, I just think they haven't written Riley very well. And I appreciate that Riley tries to apologize for last episode. I was like, you know, like that's yes, awesome. Like, especially to there, Willow. Was about to take, yes, like taking accountability. And then Willow's like, hey, like if you help us bring down Adam, then we're even. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have our last dream sequence with, Faith and this Ugh, one's chills. like this is so good. I mean, speaking of like slashers, this is giving me major like Michael Myers <laughs> vibes. Um, yeah, he, like Buffy's walking so slow with just like a knife, and it's so mechanical. She's so scary looking, and uh-huh, yeah, and a graveyard, and then Faith is like sprinting, like uh, like terrified. Um, this would be so fun as. Like Sarah Michelle Geller, who's always played like Buffy, like the protagonist, right. to like be this like creepy, ominous version of herself. That'd be so fun to do. I want to talk real fast about the the music here. Um, I'll go into it more later, but this music is very, very similar to some of the stuff in Hush. And it's also going to be almost the exact same music that's going to be used in a later episode. Um, but I've talked about how Christoph Beck has done some films that we all know now. Um, He's done Frozen 2, the soundtrack. So I don't know if you guys remember um, The Siren, the the voice that calls to Elsa in Frozen 2. Do we remember? (laughs) That's the exact same notes and pitch that is used in this this moment. There's like a siren call. There's like this creepy music that happens, this, this female that vocalizes as Fate's walking around, and it's the exact same notes. And I was like, Christoph Beck, you're just recycling your stuff here. Can I you mean- tell that Sarah has two kids who obsessed over Frozen 2? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be like, Sarah, how do you remember that? And I remember the fact that Sawyer literally, his favorite movie mm-hmm. was Frozen 2 for years, and that's all he wanted to watch. I was like, never mind. Well, when we lived there during COVID, we watched it like every freaking day. And then I remember Gwen and Sawyer were both singing. Well, no, because <laughs> you have a video. Gwen would try of and Sawyer find, singing that siren call. Gwen would try and find a different movie, and then Sawyer would be like, Frozen mm, 2. <laughs> yep, yep. No, um, but I also I love Frozen 2. I thought it was so great. And oh, that uh, so show good. yourself makes me sob. Show oh, yourself yeah. and oh, yeah. um do the next right thing. Oh my gosh, oh, every gosh, time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, okay, but there's the devil's tritones once again playing there. So if you guys did not listen to our hush analysis, go back and listen to that. It's excellent. Also the music in there. I talk a lot about devil's tritones and all this other stuff. There's also a video that I made on YouTube. Also, I don't plug this enough, but I make a bunch of like analysis videos and I put them on YouTube and I kind of compile our analysis of the episode and they're on our TikToks and our YouTube on our Instagram pages. Um, I, I think know they're, they're on our cool. YouTube. Dang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. News to Look me. at me. Good job, Connoisseur of like multiple juggling everything. No, um, check them out. They're I think they're really interesting, really informative. Um, and it's kind of a nice way to get a summarization of the analysis that we do of our episode. I don't do it for everyone, but hush is on there and you'll learn or not learn a lot, I think. So anyway, all that to say, this is eerie, creepy, it's beautiful, it's perfect. I love dream sequences and creepy music and Buffy not acting like herself and the symbolism here. And I mm-hmm. think it's super interesting that Faith comes out victorious 
showing that like maybe we're going to see a little bit of immersion of Faith with her shadow self, Buffy, but also it's raining. And that's what Faith had told the mayor. She's like, it always rains. And this is her kind of like, instead of her embracing the life that she wishes, she's accepting accepting, Mm -hmm. this is who I am. This is what's going to happen. She's like, it's like this rageful moment of like, fine, I'm going to go see revenge. And I feel like this dream sequence, like being the last one, is like (laughs) the polar opposite of of what we saw in like the first dream sequence. Yeah. It's like, oh, her wanting that, you know, camaraderie with Buffy. And then this one, she's like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Like Buffy's the villain. She's trying to kill me. I'm the damsel mm-hmm. in distress. And I'm going to come out victorious and I'm just going to be what I'm going to be. And yep. yeah. So she like crawls out of the grave. It's raining, yells and accepts her um, victory and the rain yeah. and then wakes the, up in the hospital. The male shout. This is not the female shout. The female yeah, scream. Victorious. This is the male shout right here. Yep. Yep. That's so true. I can, oh my gosh, that could be a soapbox I could talk about for like uh-huh. five hours, dude. Yep. Once like, again, did you see that analysis. interview for like the menu? I haven't seen the movie, but the interview with Anya Taylor Joy talking about yeah. like feminine rage. Women. I was like, yes. Yeah. She's like, she's like, yes. she's like, women tend to in television have horrible things happen to them, and then one single glistening tear come down their yes. face. And no. she's like, no, I did not want to do that in this movie. She was like, I was gonna go in. Glass Onion, man. Talk about female rage. That was pretty great. Amazing. Yeah. Loved it. Yep. Yep. Uh, Anyway, so she wakes up in the hospital, and this is like my least favorite thing that people do. No, don't talk about it. I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to say. And Leah's going to hate me for doing it too, but when they – like, this just reminded me of like – remember, uh, isn't it romantic when she pulls it out and then the blood like – Pulling out the IV needle. It's being realistic. It's like an actual realistic (laughs) depiction, you know. Yes, I know. Every time I'm in the I hospital for IV, I just I look can't. at it and I go, how do people do that? I know. <gasps> oh, God. And none of them are ever bleeding out. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, She walks out from the bottom level and then comes into like this girl who's at the like – I'm like, why is she just down here with a teddy bear? Like I'm very She's confused. a visitor. Like, what is She's this? coming to see someone sick and she got lost. That's why she asks Faith for directions. Oh, that's why she's probably holding a teddy bear, huh? I was like, this yeah. makes no sense to me. And so she like asks her like about graduation and then what year it is, what the date is. And the girl's just kind of like, hey, like gives her some small like details but doesn't go into it too much. And it's like, hey, I should get you some help. Um, but she does say that kids – the principal and the mayor died and Faith's face is like devastated. Um, and then we jump to seeing that Faith walks out with that girl's clothes. Yeah, they the dress that girl as innocently as possible to just contract. Yeah. I mean, what a subtle but powerful But then detail. also red riding hood jacket and yes. Faith is not the red riding hood, but she thinks she is specifically with the last dream. So it's very mm. interesting that they did that. Um, and then this conversation is the one I kind of hinted at earlier. I feel like this is written pretty well. This dorm room conversation between Buffy and Riley. Um, it starts out by saying like both Buffy and Riley talked about how they never stopped thinking about each other when they were when they were apart, worrying about each other. And he shows her the headband and says, "This is what got me through it." Um, and then he kind of keeps looking out the window and it's like, I think we're being watched. Kind of like this like paranoia of like realizing like, oh, I don't know what the initiative is capable of because clearly there's so much that I didn't know and I was on the inside. Um, she asks if there's anything she can do um, 
And he's like, well, I don't know. Like I'm used to giving orders. Like I, that's not how like I've been trained. Like I feel like I've been groomed to just be this like lapdog for everybody or just like be given orders and to do what people tell me to do. Then Buffy brings up the council. And it's really interesting because at first I didn't really like this conversation. So that's really funny that you said you thought this was really good, Tabs. Um, I was like, this is kind of dumb. Because I was like, I don't think Buffy was scared at all to quit the council. Like she almost like was like, yes, get off my back. Um, and I don't really think she ever really saw herself underneath the council in the first place. Because we really, they only meddled one time. Giles was an extension of the council, but like mm -hmm. I never really got the sense that she cared all that much about what the council thought. So it felt a little bit odd. Even in the very first episode when Buffy meets Giles and then Giles says something about her needing to be the slayer, she kind of tells him to like F off in the sense she's like, dude, like you don't own me. You don't know what I go through. Like, so it's like even before Giles, Buffy really didn't care. I'm more talking about from Riley's perspective. Like we, we sure. see a little bit more about Riley's psyche, but then also like Buffy tries to connect with him in the situation. And then he asks her, he's like, but did you follow any of the rules? And she goes, um, and so like, we, like she kind of catches up herself and be like, oh, maybe this isn't the same situation. Mm -hmm. Like clearly there's a disconnect between these two people. And even in this moment when they're trying to have this, like, oh, I've been through something similar. It's not quite the same. So I think yeah. that it was written in that sense to show that like, the difference between them and and r what Riley is specifically going through. That's yes. what I mean by like like that's fair. Showing that this good conversation because it's showing like this is a little bit more interesting to me than than him like talking to Forrest or Graham or you know right. like trying to get out. Like that's boring to me. But it's like when yeah. you like you know contrast both Buffy and Riley in this situation. Um, it's just hard because it's like we're if we're supposed to be rooting for this couple. This is not the conversation where I'm like, yes, good job. Yeah. Connected. It, feels it was more one of like things where I was like, mother. do y'all think you connected? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Do, do you think this really worked? Or, right. Well, it was so interesting because, like I said, I was like, this is a dumb conversation. But then I thought about it a little bit further. On Riley's end, like, yes, you're right. On It's hard because I see on Buffy's side and then Riley's side, they're both so good on their own. But then you put them together and they're supposed to be in a romantic relationship. <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, it's just not Somehow it's so dull. Yeah. Yeah. But this episode is prepping us for Faith and is trying to call us back to season three. Remind us that a big reason Buffy did quit the council and the reason she even got the courage to do so was because of Faith. Faith was the one who encouraged her not to follow orders and to think independently, not always in a healthy way, but she was key in Buffy's growth and development as a slayer because, again, there was a whole like um, immersion of the, the shadow self. So this calls back to um, choice and finding your own way, and that was everything that season three was about. And so we're shown right here in this that Buffy has grown. She has fully integrated with her shadow self, Faith, no longer needs her. So this is, once again, a reinforcement of, hey, this episode's not going to be about what Faith is going to teach Buffy. This episode is going to be about what Buffy is going to teach Faith. And so, again, centering Buffy as the linchpin of the episode here for both Riley and Faith is key to make making her the emotional center of the season, once again. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I see what they're doing in this conversation. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it worked exactly for what they wanted it to romantically wise but it worked for oh yeah else. romantically absolutely not no for sure yeah maybe i'm being too harsh on the fact that they're both supposed to be 20 years old but like it, like she's having to sit here and kind of tell him hey you need to <laughs> be him? 
mommy. <laughs> you need to like, you know, you know, say it. No, find yourself. Move on. <laughs> Giving him a step by step, and he's like, but she's you know, giving what him am I if I'm not a soldier, and she's like. A yeah. good person, <laughs> a good man. Yeah. You have more to you than just being a soldier. But if you can't see past that, I don't see this working. Just saying. And just like, okay. Oh, my gosh. The non-reciprocal sexual affection that Riley gives Buffy slash Mark Lucas in these scenes, it makes me – my whole body just go, <laughs> I just can't. Like, she's like straddling him, kissing his head, and he's just sitting there. He doesn't put his arm around her until like halfway through. And I'm like, uh, I just. Leah's <laughs> <laughs> face. This scene is. It's a bit triggering. I, not like triggering. I guess it's just traumatizing. Like just watching it, it's like. <laughs> like. There, it's just like, I know you're supposed to feel wrong about it. Are we? I, right? I don't think we are. I don't think we are, but it's just romantic. That's the problem with this whole season. There's no way that you're supposed to feel good about this scene. I think you are, but yeah, I don't. I walk away. It feels like she's she's mothering him just like Maggie Walsh. I mean, that tied with the the whole like, (laughs) I just need someone to give me orders. And Buffy's basically telling him like, this is what you can do. Here are your choices and like all this other stuff. It's kind of like, Riley, who are you apart from women? She's still We're giving him like, choices, though. Like she's like, here's the two things. That's you can what I do. said. And she's he's like, ah, spoon okay. feeding him. Like, so embarrassing yeah. to be like, I need someone to give me orders. It's like, um, maybe think for yourself. Like I don't. <laughs> That's too hard. It's too much. Not um, a thought like, in his it's head. It's awkward too to like go from like talking about like giving orders and stuff to like kissing. I'm like. Unless that's Riley's kink. No, no. Probably no, is. No, Absolutely. No, He's a bottom. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying not to what, was, what was the episode? <laughs> was it? It was it. It was the IN team. I mean, Riley was a, was on the bottom. That's what Same. I'd be saying. That's I know. I agree saying. with you. I'm I'm backing you up. I've got the evidence. Anyway, all right. Moving roll on. The tape. <laughs> I ain't watching that tape again. <laughs> yeah no no thank you please you can roll, roll the, the tape, tape. Yeah. i'm gonna do something else i'm gonna watch this episode again then we have this scene where the like faith's nurse is like frantic is like oh my gosh oh my gosh I don't okay know what wait happened. hold on this nurse is like a random side character in like so many sitcoms in the 2000s not sitcoms uh, yeah but, like you know in parks and rec what the episode where Ron is like forced to have his office in the dead center of the parks and rec and he's like the the spinny chair yeah she's the, she's the girl who comes in and is like um sir sir and then runs oh, that's her, keeps funny. walking around that's really and funny she's in something else but i can't remember but i keep seeing her popping up in like random shows that i'm watching and it's just funny but that's yeah she's hilarious. the nurse in this episode yeah she like lets the detective know that faith is gone they're like oh my gosh you had like a known uh killer here and you didn't tell anyone why is she here and they're like well she was in a coma and blah 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 and then at the very end the nurse the script even says like her frantic demeanor uh goes away and she immediately becomes deadpan and then she grabs the phone and she's like it's happened send the team and you're like oh no honestly it's a good question though why don't they have cameras in that bottom level you know they have um, cameras in the whole other part yeah. of the hospital and it's supposed to be this like convicted murderer i don't you know yeah well yeah i i have no idea i think they genuinely well i mean they didn't think she was going to come out of the coma so why why waste all that money on someone who's just not gonna get out of it but yeah 
So this next scene, Faith's walking down the street. I wrote, ah, yes, the obligatory, I don't know where I am. The world has changed. Walk <laughs> yeah. down Main Street. Classic. We had this with Vamp Willow, Wish Cordy, and the music is the same in Hush. And we have like all these fathers and daughters like going out and doing things. And it's just, it's funny. <laughs> this happens every single time. Yep. And then we have Faith going to the windowsill, looking into the window. Oh, just, well, like, she first pangs. sees the high school too. Oh, that yes. high school closed down. Yeah. Which that was kind of yeah. cool to see. I, I like every time we kind of see the high school glimpses of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're still in Sunnydale. I miss it. Yeah, that one shot was better than all of Doomed inside of the real. The dental floss uh, rope that tied oh, Buffy. Gosh. The special like uh, <laughs> military rope. The five minutes of the demon falling before Buffy jumps in afterwards to grab it. Dude, don't even – don't get me started. (laughs) We're all traumatized in the episode. This next scene with Faith coming into Jaws' courtyard reminded me so much of Pang's. We talked a lot about doorways and windows and people on the outside looking in. And we have Spike with his blanket like looking over into like – you know, the family of vampires feasting on a human. And then we have Angel looking in. And it's this idea of like an outsider wanting in with the family atmosphere and aspect. And um, it's really interesting because the fire in the fireplace in this scene was actually a huge ordeal to produce. It was a real fire. So it required a fire marshal on set and then a certain number of fire extinguishers on the ready. And Douglas Petrie said that he felt that the ordeal was worth it because the scene needed to feel homey and cozy because it needed to contrast what Faith was feeling on the outside. Um, And it just feels very much like Spike with the blanket looking in. Um, Speaking of outside looking in, we now see Faith kind of looking through the window of Giles' house. And like this whole interaction where they're talking about Adam, like she just keeps scanning and looking at like Buffy and Riley. You can see her being like, I just feel like I can see Eliza Dishku does such an amazing job because I can see the different thoughts that she's having as every time she kind of peers back at the couple. It's like first of like, huh? And then it's like a, Oh, you little slimy weasel. You're not even mm-hmm. with Angel. But just like, like, oh, I can use this. Or like, interesting. Like, there's just, like, there's so much that's going on in her brain that she's like very confused, but then also just being like, oh, of course. Like, but she's I not like surprised that we're seeing such an intelligent side of her that isn't just immediately reacting, yeah. going in, fighting Buffy, because we know that probably last season, that's like, that's more of what she would have done. But we're seeing her observe and kind of gain information and then make a plan which is like like i like when you know uh antagonists or things like that are actually intelligent rather than just being like you know Mm -hmm. charging in yeah reactionary yeah well and then she's kind of biding her time like she's like waiting it out and then um giles gets a call and then hands it to buffy then she kind of like puts two together she's like oh that's probably about me and then she like leaves um, and then Buffy tells everyone that Faith is awake, kind of goes into her classic Buffy speech. Um, but that Buffy is like so like optimistic mm-hmm. about Faith. And I wish that Faith – I know why they did it, but I wish that Faith was there so that she could hear her like talking about her and that yeah. way. It's so frustrating, yeah. but I, I understand – yeah, yeah. We can't have faith getting to that point yet. Yeah. A couple observations about this scene, though. Um, so the first thing was they asked Riley to be a double agent. So now he, Riley is going to basically share information from the initiative, which I thought was interesting and will actually give him something to do. The second thing is, and this is a big question, is who called Buffy? 
it wasn't the watcher's council because we know that's who the nurse called. So who's the one? Was it the nurse? Like, it, it, I mean, oh Buffy could have put herself as the emergency <laughs> contact. About there's, these things? <laughs> yeah, there's there's like a glare. I mean, there's some options, some ideas maybe, but it's like kind of like I don't see any situation in which yeah. Buffy would be the one that they would call. Well, Faith could have put Buffy as her emergency contact when she moved to – actually, no. What would she even like – Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't understand. Maybe Giles. Maybe Giles. I was going to say maybe Giles put Buffy as her emergency contact. Like when would they have time to do yeah, that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, there's just kind of like a, a big hole here. You're like, okay, who did? But regardless, they had to get the information to Buffy. They got it to Buffy. It's fine. Um, but on your point, Tabby, about how Buffy immediately goes to the – she might be scared. She might be alone. Like she immediately goes to putting herself in Faith's shoes, wanting to help Faith um, mm-hmm. instead of like a Willow who was all like, oh, let's just go kill her. <sighs> Willow okay, immediately just I was going to say, yes, I yeah. was going to say that. I was yeah, waiting until yeah. the second time she says it. But it's like, it's almost as if like Willow, again, there's so much in this episode. If you watched it without the context of season three, you'd be very like torn between the different like pieces of information that we're getting here. Mm-hmm. Like season three, Buffy did not want to hurt she did every precaution she could until literally graduation part one where mm-hmm. like she was like at her last straw and killing Faith was the only option in her head. Um, and she didn't want to do it. Like that was the first time they ever fought. They didn't even fight before that. Even – I mean they they did in um, – they did in enemies. Enemies. But that yeah. was like – yeah. But again, that was like – Life or death, you know? Uh, but she didn't want to do it again there. There were so many situations that happened that built up to that. But it's like the fact – it's like Buffy hated doing that. Buffy didn't want to do that. It's not like she just was like, oh, I'm going to do some ass-kicking on Faith just because she just wanted to. So the fact that it's like Willow's saying that is so yeah. like frustrating because it's like Buffy didn't – that's not who Buffy is. That's not how Buffy wants to treat Faith. You but know? it's who Willow is. I think that that's the important thing about the scene is that – Willow doesn't want to take the steps. No, I'm trying to say this without, like, I'm trying to say this delicately. (sighs) I do not think that Willow is necessarily. I think that we get the impression in the first few seasons of Buffy that Willow is this like very kind, tempered person. She would never hurt a fly. Like. I'm not saying that Willow isn't kind. I'm just saying that I think that because Willow is shy, we automatically mm. tie that in with kindness and innocence. Like that, and innocence. Yes, innocence. thank you. Whereas I don't think that Willow is necessarily an innocent character. I think that she is a more shy character, but I think that we an see insecure. A, an insecure character. But I think that we see that as Willow is gaining confidence with magic and herself and all that, she has a bit more of a biting edge to her. Um, Mm -hmm. We've seen that with some of the spells that she's tried to cast. We've seen that um, just in general, she has this kind of sense of if people, if she feels like people have wronged her, she has, she feels justified in her actions. Mm -hmm. Buffy does not have that. Buffy, I think because Buffy bears the burden of being the Slayer, 
she is a lot more cautious because she knows the repercussions, whereas Willow is a lot more quick to kind of react. Um, and I think that, you know, Willow always had it out for Faith um, from the very mm-hmm. beginning. She didn't like the fact that she took, quote unquote, Buffy from her. She didn't like the fact that she, quote unquote, took Xander from her. Um, you know, Willow always kind of had this issue with Faith. Some of it justified, some of it not. And I think that she now feels that it's justified to take that anger out on Faith because Faith did so many hurtful things in season three that she thinks it's okay to just kill her and get rid of her because, you know, Faith did all these evil things. Whereas, like, Buffy's coming at it as, like, no, like, this is someone who we fought with and someone that we knew and it's a human life on top of the fact that it's another slayer. Like, Buffy views her a lot more objectively than Willow does. I think Willow is a lot more biased. She's going at this from a very hurt angle. And I know a lot of people are going to not like that because a lot of people love Willow and I love Willow too. But I don't view Willow as this innocent character who would never hurt a fly. And I think a lot of people do. It's hard because, well, Willow initially did like Faith, but it all changed when Faith slept with Xander and Xander slept with Faith. And that has colored her view of Faith ever since. And uh, like, obviously, there was the hurt there when Faith and Buffy started hanging out more, but it was never quite like it was when she was mad at Faith and Xander. Well, she's, she's never mad at, there's just misogynistic undertones here. She's not upset at Xander for sleeping with Faith. She's upset at Faith. And like, even when the whole thing happened with Veruca, she compares Veruca with Faith, like, you know, voice like an albatross and, you know, dress like a mm-hmm, hooker. The she makes some sort of, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, something like that. So it's just kind of like, Willa has some things that she needs to work out. And it's, it's frustrating because we see her kind of treat Anya this way. And I'm like, Willow, you're let, like, let's just say it. You're with Tara now. <laughs> it's not been like explicit yet, mm-hmm. but you're with Tara. It's implied heavily. Why are you still hung up on the fact on someone that never even was your boyfriend? Someone that you cheated on? I don't know. I just find it really it's more of honestly, control and the people in her life. Yeah. That were, uh, it's the attention it on her. You know what I mean? Like if it's like mm-hmm. – and I can give her some like some excuses – for like uh, the whole Buffy and Faith thing, like when that happened in the beginning of season three, I really felt her pain. It was like they would right. go in and she would make make Buffy would make comments about like, oh, it's a Slayer thing. But Buffy was trying to protect Willow mm-hmm. because she saw darkness in Faith. So it's like, yeah. again, it's very nuanced. So I understand that perspective. And it's like, and I know I got crap, but it's like in season three when she's crying in the bathroom, I know now that it's like, it, it was multi-layered why she was crying. Mm-hmm. But it, it's like you have no right to be upset yeah. about somebody losing their virginity when you're in a relationship. And I right. know there were other reasons why she was upset. But it's like this whole like control thing or like – or just people like taking their attention away from her. So when Zander has a new girlfriend, she automatically doesn't like the new girlfriend because they've been besties right. their whole life. But right. he hasn't done that with her. Like he liked Oz, right. you know? And I'm sure it's more – it's multi-layered. I'm sure that Willow – it's yeah. not the, a romantic interest in Xander anymore because there's also the aspect of Faith tried to assault Xander and almost killed him. So yes, Willow being upset about those things is justified. 
you don't get the sense all the time though that those are the reasons though. It feels like yeah. what you you guys are well, saying. Even it feels she like a said in season thing. three, she says she says um, I, don't like I have an issue with fa- yes mm-hmm. with sharing my yep. things or taking my things or whatever it is. Yes. Like that's what it is. Which is she concerning. Said that. It's yeah. concerning. And we see that symptom with when she's talking about Oz in something blue. It's interesting that her heart desire wasn't to like have Oz come back, but like. It's to, okay, I'm going to change my emotions. She just didn't like that I, that, that feeling of that lack of control, and that spreads mm-hmm. to the people around her. So, yeah. So outside of campus, um, Will and Buffy are talking about what Buffy specifically told Riley about Faith. And she's like, hey, like, you have bits and pieces, but not like the entire story. She glossed over the whole angel bit, which I actually, like – I don't blame Buffy for like that's that is like a different conversation. You have to sit down and you have to really go into like, you know, when like you're dating somebody and it's like there's some parts about yourself that you're like, I'm not withholding. I'm just like there's certain stuff that you need to preface before you get to the big stuff that you have to talk about in your life. And it's like it's not like you're lying to them. It's not that you're like being deceptive. It's like there are moments and times where you have to sit down and really just give a whole evening to spelling out everything and that wasn't when everyone else was in the room and there's there's also a difference between being like hey yeah i had this ex loved him whatever it didn't work out and being like let me divulge this very detailed thing that happened where we had totally you know it was like this life-altering moment it was you know there's so many emotions so many connections like obviously it's hard to translate that into like vampire life but it's like there is a difference between like, <laughs> telling a current boyfriend being like, hey, me and my boyfriend broke, me and my ex-boyfriend broke up, you know, a couple years ago, whatever, giving them the details or giving them the overall without being like, it was one of the hardest breakups of my life. I was depressed for months after. Like, those are two different conversations. <laughs> I had to kill him. Yeah, like, those are two different conversations of like, this is yeah. what happened and then this is what happened in detail. Angel is a part of Buffy's past, so it's going to come up when, as Riley's learning about Buffy, but he's not... Angel's not a part of their relationship right now. Buffy hasn't even seen Angel since they started dating. So it's it's not like, okay, we need to sit down and have a conversation about it because Angel affects Buffy's life right now. They will eventually have to have a conversation, but I don't get the sense that like, yeah. And her saying like, she's not withholding it or whatever. You know, I I think that I, I, I actually believe Buffy when she says that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It just wasn't the time. Like, there's so much that's happening right now, you know? And to be fair, there's been a lot that's been happening, so I don't fault Buffy. Like, we haven't had the chance for that kind of conversation yet. Although, again, this episode is setting up a lot of things, and they brought up Angel, and then they bring up the whole, like, Riley's like, who's Faith? And then you have that moment where Buffy doesn't really fully tell uh, Riley who Faith is, and you could tell that she's worried that Riley or uh, Faith's going to hurt someone she loves. And then she goes to Joyce. And I'm like, oh, I kind of get the sense a storm is brewing here. And I'm like, Ooh. yeah, because there's some things that haven't been brought up and it's no one's fault. But I'm kind of like, oh, boy, this is this is going to explode. Um, so they continue talking and then Buffy's like, if I were Faith, I'd stay as far away from here. And then lo and behold, Faith turns around and is like, well, you're not me. I, when I, I remember the first watching this episode, I was shook. Yeah. Again, important though that the first words out of Faith's mouth to Buffy, mm-hmm. to her shadow side, separates is, herself. You're not me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then she's like kind of talking to Buffy, being like, hey, like, check you out. Big, 
big girl on campus is working out for you. Um, and then Buffy's like, hey, like I've been looking for you. And she just keeps making jokes, being like, hey, like, oh, I've been standing still for eight months. Like how hard you look. There's so much bitterness and Faith's tone in this conversation. Like she's like, oh, like, like I just keep thinking about the fact that you tried to kill me, not for yourself, but for a, a boyfriend you're not even dating anymore. And you could tell Buffy's just like, you don't know anything about me. Like mm-hmm. this whole conversation is just like, Faith, like there's clearly something Faith is really just bitter and angry about when it comes to Buffy. Well, she says, you took my life. It's also you know? like, Faith is not the victim. Buffy did everything she could not to try and kill Faith. Mm-hmm. Faith what, what Buffy did was purely reactionary and self-defense. And I just think that Faith doesn't see it that way. And well, and Faith, Faith doesn't want to see it that way. Faith wants to deflect because she doesn't want to take responsibility for her actions. She doesn't want to admit that she had a choice. She wants to say, I had no choice because I don't want to admit that what I did was messed up. But I mean, like Buffy saying, these are innocent people. Faith saying, no such animal. If no one is actually innocent, then that means that I'm justified in killing or whatever because other people are guilty too. Um, It's super fascinating. So the script uh, initially had it written that Buffy was going to be the one that threw the first punch. Um, Douglas Petrie had written that and Joss actually rejected that. And he said he felt that it was too unsympathetic to hit a girl who had just been in a coma, but also Buffy is incredibly sympathetic in this episode. And I think it would have been against her character, at least in this episode to have struck faith first. And I like that conscious decision. Buffy strikes first when it's like a clear villain. I've never seen her strike first when it's like a, a, gray somewhere in the middle character they're usually but the also we've first. never seen buffy strike faith first and unless it was literally like you just killed someone or i need to kill you to save angel it's every other time she's literally tried to talk faith out of it every other time she's str- she strikes first in graduation day part two in their big showdown but that was very but that, clearly but, but like that, buffy's but that's saying, but it's also like you're literally about to cause the hell mouth to be like, here, I don't have time to sit here and talk to you. You need to be sure. put out of the way. Justified, Yeah, it yes. wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, there was a – it was like, no, you need to be put out of the equation because I need to save people. Well, she even says, like, like you had it coming. And speaking of, like, the way the actors deliver lines, like, Sarah Michelle Keller chose – on paper, you could say this so many different ways and it would be a different response every time. She could have sat there and be like, you had it coming. We would have very different scene there. But she says it softly. Almost as if like she's saying like, Faith, you know you had it coming. Like it's stern, but it's like soft at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, man, yeah. Sarah Geller, like just can't say a simple line without me thinking like five different ways that she's thinking mm-hmm. Or like the way that she's trying to interpret this line. Like, again, it, it could have been so snarky. Like, I'm just thinking if like a CW, like Vampire Diaries, the way that they would say it, they'd be like, you had it coming. Like, nostrils mm-hmm. flaring. And it's like, there's like little dimension there, you know? Um, so it's not, they're very different types of shows. I need to stop doing yeah. that because it's a very <laughs> different type of show. But like with this one, it, it's like, it, it it's supposed to be a little bit more confusing than that, you know? Faith hears sirens, cops come up, and then Faith beats him up, runs away. Buffy falls her, but then ends up losing her. And then we see Willow and Tara hanging out in the lounge. And then Willow like <laughs> fully tells Tara about Faith, which is interesting because it's like you could tell that she told her the entire story, whereas Buffy 
didn't tell Riley the but full story of Faith until a scene after also, this. Given the context, Faith and Buffy went through way more than Willow and That's Faith. True. Like, it's almost like telling someone like, hey, my friend and her ex-boyfriend broke up in this way versus like me and my ex-boyfriend. Like there's a difference. There was a different level. There was a different relationship. Willow was giving Tara context and understanding whereas Buffy has to divulge this personal story. It's a completely different. I'm not blaming yeah. Buffy. I'm just trying to like say. I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that like contextually wise, contextual, whatever. Um, it's interesting and it tells us subtly where Willow yeah. and Tara are at and tells mm. us where Buffy and yeah. Riley are at, you know? That's interesting because I was also thinking that, I mean, Willow is Buffy's metaphorical spirit. So the fact that she's telling Tara could imply that Buffy's spirit is willing to tell Riley. She's not withholding from Riley because she's being deceptive like we talked about. She truly is just too busy. Um, but also, the gang doesn't know that Tara exists at this point, And yet Tara knows – it's implied that Tara knows about the Slayer. Tara knows about all this other stuff, which I think is Yeah, actually, I didn't even think about that. That's kind of like really scummy. <laughs> like not to tell Buffy that like – you're giving this random person like, uh, yeah. so much information about Buffy specifically and you're not even telling her? Like, that's a little weird. I'd be pissed if I was Buffy. I'd be like, dude, just tell me. Let me know because I want to know odd. who knows about me. Oh, uh, okay. So Pasha the Nerd was talking about this scene with Giles and Xander and Spike. And he was saying that Giles, Xander, and Spike, these three characters have like nothing to do mm-hmm. in this in this episode. And that's why this scene was written. It was to be like, hey, so um, Spike is still in this season. We, we still have James Marsters as a uh, a main character, a season lead. So we got to put him in this episode. Um, but he wrote about how this episode what could have been just like, or this scene, what could have just been a throwaway scene ended up being one of the funniest and most memorable scenes of this episode because of how Spike reacts and responds. <laughs> it's just He looks funny. like so into the conversation. He's like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. The most engaged this? he's been all season. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'll head out, find this girl, tell her exactly where all of you are and watch as she kills you like his the way that his timing is so good and he's like they're just like staring at him and he gets so annoyed he's like can anyone of your damn little scooby club at least try to remember that i hate you all so good (laughs) yeah the next time you need money we'll see you again try to remember that again too that them putting in Xander talking to Giles about how like, you know, oh, Faith wants me, you know, we have a history and all this stuff. They did such a good job with such a meaningless scene to also catch you up on where everybody is, not only in this season, but what happened in the past. I don't know. It just, it was, it was masterfully done. Mm -hmm. It was very funny. Back in the hospital, um, we see the same nurse walking outside and we see a helicopter with three men in full leather and (laughs) briefcases okay mm-hmm. welcome to the nurse say do people forget that this is sunnydale not vegas like how <laughs> how was there just like helicopters and all this like just flying into supposedly a small town like with no one batting an eye yeah, yeah into the hospital this is, like, of all places called in for faith we can kind of assume that it's probably like the council right like, yeah it can't be anyone else at this point 
Yeah, it says three men get out. We don't know it yet, but they're the Watchers Council, Special Ops, Collins, Weatherby, and Smith. There's definitely three of them, so... Oh, oh, I thought it was uh, Collins Weatherby was someone's full name. Nope. And just said, <laughs> like Wesley Wyndham Price. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Faith is back in the street. She sees a knife. So she hides in the alley, and then a demon comes, and he's like, hey, we have something from you from someone mutual. And I'm like, girl, what if it was word of mouth? You can't immediately. <laughs> Whoops. Guess you we'll got never know. lucky with this envelope. <laughs> My goodness. And he seemed nice. It was like he was trying to be sneaky or creepy. I was like, dang, this is another Sky Sky situation. Like these poor nice demons are sky, just, sky. Like, <laughs> are just sky. being given like these like little like odd jobs. And they have like a whole apartment and like, you know, the nice part of town. A, a life, family. a family, children <laughs> yeah. waiting for them. Yep. I just was like, dang, what if it was like, you know, again, like something that someone told him and he had to tell her rather than an envelope? Well, the funny part to me was like, you know, then you have the police car with their like their lights as they're looking for faith. As they and they didn't by. see the body. That's they didn't see I the body. Too. Yeah, that's yes. what I was like, uh, hello. <laughs> Classic Sunnydale. Classic Sunnydale police, man. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, oh, OK, this is demon. They, they move on. <laughs> um, and then we see we're assuming that Faith is like broken to like a video store. Mm-hmm. Um, she puts the tape into a TV and this whole videotape is very interesting because I didn't pick up on the fact that he like, yeah, it's like nice and sweet because he's like, Oh, like, you know, there's a lot, there's little moments of him being like, I'm so proud of you. Like, like, but you're in a coma, like maybe you won't wake up. Um, and the pessimist may think is thinking that maybe we didn't make it, yada, yada, yada. But what I find so interesting is that he's telling her that you're basically done for. There's mm-hmm. no part of him that's giving her hope in this moment. Mm-hmm. I never picked that up until this, this rewatch. And mm-hmm. this is the moment in like, us doing a podcast where I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many moments that I would have never noticed mm-hmm. if I just kept binging the show. Uh, maybe I would. I don't know. But having to kind of look for these little spots, I just say he goes, he's like, he's like, if I'm not here, your days are numbered. And it's like as if he's like inserting this fear into faith through because of Buffy. And so it's like it's adding this whole other layer to her that's listening to somebody who cared for her and loved her. And it's kind of affirming her fears when it comes to Buffy and people, the people that don't love her and like accept her. And he says at the end, he's like, just because it's over for my faith doesn't mean she can't go out with a bang. It's like, dang, like you're like giving her like a mission now. Like, why can't she just live? Like, give her some hope. But I think it also goes to show that as much as the master, oh my gosh, the mayor um, <laughs> did love me. He ultimately was a selfish man with a selfish goal. Mm. And he really saw Faith as an add-on to his plan. She was a bonus. She was, he loved Faith. He loved having her at his side, but ultimately his plan came first and he couldn't see anything past his plan. So if his plan didn't succeed, then there's no way that Faith had a life outside of that. Mm. Yeah. Well, Passion the Nerd brought up a really good point. He says, it's kind of wonderful how Faith's insertion this season fits well with all the other themes that season four has been toying around with. Family, identity, belonging, not totally surprising given she's Buffy's former shadow self. The mayor's proclamation that Faith doesn't have much time left without him is a soft echo of Professor Walsh's statement that Buffy's main problem was the absence of a male role model. Riley's trying to figure out who he is without the initiative. Faith now needs to discover 
never herself without the mayor. So it's like this idea that like he cares for her, but he almost views her like a child the mayor did. And like we talked about that in season three. And so it's this idea of like, oh, without a male role model, without a strong father figure, you're just going to flounder. You're not going to have purpose. And that's kind of what Maggie was saying. And so like once again, the show is reinforcing this idea of like faith doesn't have these crutches, these security blankets, even these people to fall back on that she can point a finger at and say, you're the reason that I am the way that I am. Who is faith without all these people? Patch the Nerd even implies that he believes at the very end that faith was preparing to like die, that she was going to like off Joyce while she went out as well. Um, because in her mind, she's like, well, the mayor said that I don't have any other purpose. Like she didn't know, like he was, I mean, we don't know, but he's implying that Faith didn't know what that little box did that the mayor gave her, that it was some sort of like something that will take out Buffy as well as Faith. She didn't know that it was going to be a body swap, um, which I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think that's an interesting take. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It adds a whole other light to this episode. And um, yeah, I think it's pretty consistent with the rest of the themes. Um, and then in Riley's room, Buffy is kind of just like very frustrated with Riley because he's kind of like making like a a, a game out of like Faith because he's like, oh, somebody that Buffy can't like master, can't like beat. You know, he finds that like intriguing. Interesting. But mm-hmm. yeah, intriguing is a good word. Um, and Buffy's like lecturing him being like, hey, like this is serious. Like she tried, like I'm scared she's going to go after people I love. Like she's like, uh, like scary she's like you know homicidal you know all these things um and you can see like he's starting to like understand a little bit more but he's one of those people that i really feel like won't believe people until he sees it for his own eyes which is so mm. frustrating i mean I, at this point he's been lied to yeah. by the people he trusts most he's got some trust issues but there's also the whole like there's something you're not telling me and i'm like oh no i know how tv shows go i know how this goes the fact that she's not telling him about Angel, he's going to um, use it as a either point he's going to use it, yes, yeah. or something big is going to happen to where he's like, "You didn't tell me," and he's already struggling with or trust it's gonna issues. Or it's going to slip like, out of someone else's mouth, and then he's oh, gonna be, I like, wonder who it's going to slip. Didn't tell him. Yeah. yeah, who do we know that is really not great <laughs> about keeping Buffy's stuff to himself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Calling it now. Not that I haven't seen the show before or not, but I yeah, feel it really like it's consistent with his character because I'm thinking of stuff that happens in season seven and I'm like, that is so consistent. Oh, I want to strangle him every time something like that happens. I'm like, mm, we haven't gotten there yet. Until- we haven't gotten there yet. We got, uh, we got time. As of now, it's all fine. And Danny Xander has been completely unproblematic this entire season. Yeah. Anyway. Not completely, uh, but g- generally okay. So we flip from she's saying she's scared she'll come after people she loves into dun 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 Buffy's home. She opens up the door to Joyce and knocks Joyce out. Also, hello, Christine Sutherland moving back or coming back from Spain. It's been since fear itself since we've seen her because of her being in a different country. Well, no, the beginning of the episode season four, the freshman we saw her. Uh, Then we saw her in fear itself the next episode. Or not the next episode, but a couple episodes later. Oh, you're right. The Halloween episode when the, she's making yeah. Yeah, the yeah, little yeah, yeah. red riding hood. Yeah, that's, that's the last right. time. Yeah, yeah. But that was like real brief in that episode. Yeah. So in Joyce's room, poor Joyce is sitting on the bed while Faith is like looking through her lipsticks, is kind of like rummaging through everything. Uh, and she's like asking her, she's like, she's like, be honest, how do I look? And Joyce is so snarky. She's like psychotic. Her delivery is <laughs> amazing. 
You see where Buffy gets it from. Yeah. Joyce? She's so quick. Like, yeah, she's like quick-witted too. She's like, you're thinking, you'll never get away with it. She's like, actually, I was thinking my daughter's going to kill you soon. I was like, dang, Joyce going – like, Mm -hmm. even Joyce wants Faith to die. Yikes. Um, oh my gosh, this part hurt though. Like Faith like pulls out like the letters from Buffy and it's like, oh, she hasn't been here in a while. She's going to leave you here to die. Goes on this whole long rant that like, mm. and she inserts herself in this like, like conversation with Joyce. She's like, she's moved on from people, I guess. Like she doesn't need us anymore. You've served a purpose in our life, but she's mm-hmm. inserting herself in this conversation. I'm like, girl, you're, you're showing, you're showing your cards here, girl. Like keep it close to your chest. Yeah. <laughs> Well, according to Douglas Petrie, the subtext of this scene is that if Joyce were Faith's mother, Faith would not have neglected Joyce's protection as she accuses Buffy of doing. So there's this idea there that Faith is just looking – you know how it is. When you're when you're mad at someone, when someone's wronged you, you want to go find someone that agrees with you because it validates your feelings and what you're going through. And that's what Faith's doing right here. But I also think that Faith is trying to prove that Buffy isn't – what everyone thinks she is. Oh, she's yeah. not a good daughter. She's not it a good affirms player. Her. She's not a good. Yeah. It's like her trying to be like Buffy isn't perfect. Buffy isn't uh-huh. perfect. She does all these bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It uh, it like it affirms like uh, Faith's actions in her head. If Buffy isn't this perfect superhero that everyone views her to be, then it's like her being like, okay, well then I'm justified into like. You know, whatever I do against Buffy. Well, um, all of season three was Faith saying, "You like the darkness, Buffy. You, li-, you know, she yeah. she wants to drag her down to her level." And Joyce is like, "Were you planning on setting my throat anytime soon?" She's like, "I don't want to hear your <laughs> sob her. story. Let's go <laughs> for real." And she's like, "Oh, Buffy left you here to die. Um, she's not coming for you." And then Buffy breaks through the window. This and she's is amazing. Like, Hi, mom. And she's like, "Hi, honey." And Aww. Joyce doesn't even seem like like shocked at all like it's it's almost as if she just was waiting like she had like no part of her felt like buffy was not coming she and i love so that they didn't fade in into that yeah which is also the contrast of the the master oh my gosh <laughs> that said like was telling faith pretty much like i don't think you're gonna make it i don't yeah. know what you're gonna do after me whereas like joyce has so much faith in buffy just being like mm. she's gonna make it she's gonna save me like mm-hmm. she's she's buffy which is interesting because the mayor only saw faith as like a i'm a salvation to you i'm helping you mm-hmm. whereas like if you really love somebody it's like you want them to be happy and to be independent and to find themselves mm-hmm. like because you love them you want them for like want that for them and so like the fact that like joyce is like understanding of buffy as an individual and like i'm sure that's gotta hurt like as a parent to like not see your child for a while but also understanding that buffy's like juggling so much in her life and so when buffy does show up it's not a a sign of like insecurity or like thinking that buffy wouldn't be there for her it's like those things can coexist you can be sad and like and and miss your daughter and wish you saw her more um but then also like know who she is at the same time so it's like you know that she's gonna come when like when joyce is needed you know well, in an episode all about family, I mean, you have Riley and Forrest talking about family, and now you have Faith talking about family and the mayor and the dynamics between parents and siblings and all this stuff. It was so interesting that they had Faith go after Joyce, the Buffy's actual family that's around, and how, like what you guys are saying, Joyce is completely trusting that Buffy will come through for her if she needs to, and also giving 
Buffy the space to go out and live her life all on her own um, without feeling the need to be like, circle the wagons, check in with me every few moments or whatever, you know? And so again, it goes back to both Joyce and Giles's parenting philosophy that's very different from the mayor and Maggie Walsh and all that Mm -hmm. other stuff. Yep. And then as they're fighting, falling down the stairs, hurting each other, Joyce calls 911. Um, Good for her. And like, I just, oh, can Eliza Dishku just stay? Because I've been missing so many this of fight. these fight scenes. I was it like, was so oh, interesting. deprived. Was so I've been good. so deprived of good fight scenes. Like, I miss I'm it. I'm just so sick of stupid weapons. Like, oh my <laughs> yes. gosh. Hand to hand fighting. Like, so much of this season, yeah, so much of this season has been like weapons and machinery and all that because it's focusing on the mechanics of the initiative. And it's like, I don't care. I want to see well crafted fight scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's so well done. Like they're they're just so creative. Like that when the when Faith brings out the door in front of Buffy and she breaks yeah. through it, I was like, dang. Yeah, they're so interesting. It's so brutal too. I, yes. I love watching it. And a lot of it you could tell is like Eliza and Sarah Michelle Geller. Like you could tell, like sometimes it's like it's back and forth, but I was like, oh, like you could tell they did a lot of practice with a lot of these stunts too because they're also talking throughout it. So mm-hmm. they're like slamming each other up against the walls and they're talking about like, oh, like going for the boyfriend again. That's tired. You know, like talking about Riley and then Angel and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then uh, we kind of, as the last jump back, we see in Giles's house that the council or the guys or whatever, Smith and the other dudes um, ah. are sitting in his house. I wonder if they want Giles. I wonder if he would accept being a watcher again. And then back at Buffy's house, we hear siren- sirens come. And then Faith takes out the gadget, grabs Buffy's hand as she is about to swing. And then some light flashes. Then she takes it off her hand, breaks it on the floor. And then Buffy knocks out Faith. Mm-hmm. Joyce comes down the stairs and is like, oh, like, are you okay? Um, Buffy's like, she's their problem now. Joyce is like, you sure you're okay? And then with an ominous look, Buffy goes five by five. It has like this weird, like non-blinking, psychopathic look down. Mm-hmm. We're all like, wait, what? Yeah. To be continued. Oh, so good, dude. Such a good episode. I mean- as I said before, I typically don't like part ones because they are just a lot of setup, but this had just some great dialogue, some great foreshadowing. You can tell it's setting up a lot of stuff, but it's still like there's a lot of payoff. Um, it's obviously a body swapping episode, which – overall just a good standalone uh, episode. It's so good. So, so good. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like ready to record the next one. I need to go watch it and everything, but oh, I can't wait for the next few episodes. It's so mm-hmm. good. All right, guys, that was season four, episode 15, This Year's Girl. What do you guys think of the return of Faith? Did you like it? Was it a good refresher? Are you excited for the next couple of episodes and the arc that's to come? We are. Let us know your thoughts. As always, guys, you can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. Uh, and you can email us at Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, we will see you guys next time for Who Are You? Can't wait. Until then, guys. Bye.